Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and I am a working artist and mother to a curious toddler. My business, Balzer Designs, is all about helping you to live an artful life through a thoughtful art education. And on this podcast, together with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Shoebalzer, we ask questions of each other and our guests while discussing learning, the creative career path, finding balance, looking at art, setting goals, and why being creative matters. So our goal for this podcast is to stimulate your imagination. So hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm very good. And you? Good. I'm trying to figure out why uh, our, my name is is on the, there you go, on the screen for the version that is video. So for those of you who are listening on the podcast, if you didn't know, you can watch a video of this podcast where you can see us um, making faces at each other. So if that interests you, you can find it on YouTube at youtube.com slash balls or designs. That's B-A-L-Z-E-R-D-E-S. I yes, I forgot how to spell designs for just one moment. Lack of sleep, let's say that. Mom and I were just comparing sleep schedules, and it's not going well for either it's of us. It's not a competitive sport. It's true. It's There's true. There's no winner and no loser. There's definitely no winner, but definitely a lot of losers. Um, so a couple things that are going on. The Artful Holiday class is going strong. You can always find all my classes at ballsordesigns.com. Um, Design Bootcamp is open for registration for 2023 and spots are going fast. So I hope that you will sign up for that. I'm sure I'll ha- host a little webinar for it later this fall if you're interested in viewing that. Otherwise, you can see the free one that I did last year also on my YouTube channel. Um, and other educational opportunities, membership, it's like my Patreon. It's what keeps uh the lights on around here as they say and there are a lot Many of lights. lights it's true um i just realized that i don't have the ring light plugged in or the good mic so let's see if this changes the sound quality look at things as at all i'm very prepared today if you couldn't tell incredibly prepared okay so i'm gonna make all the excuses and say steve is out of town so i've been alone with my son and as it turns out, slightly not as bad as I thought, because I feel like when Steve is here, I kind of let him have a say in things. <laughs> and when he's not here, then I just get to do whatever I want and make all the decisions. And actually, in a weird way, it's less labor. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> so I'm actually, I thought I was going to be a struggle and I was going to be exhausted and it was going to be whatever, but now it's just my way or the highway and it's not a problem. So I guess I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So today I wanted to uh, talk about, well, mom, you were confused when I first brought up this topic a little bit because what I refer to it as is mashups. And that's partially because that's the name that I've given it in the Artful Holiday class that I'm teaching, which is every Wednesday in that class, I teach one or two mashups, which is where I take all the content that has come during the week before, sort of mash it up, stealing what interests me from the techniques, the look of things, the shapes, whatever it is, the ideas, pulling out and extracting the bits and parts that are useful to me and mushing them into a brand new project. And part of that the reason I'm doing it or the reason I came up with that should be part of the class was I wanted to obviously reinforce the learning that people have had. Because normally, a lot of times when I teach a class, the learning is sequential. And what I mean by that is that uh, lesson B builds on lesson A and lesson C builds on lesson A and B. But this is not 
like that, right? For the most part, um, there are 18 teachers besides me. People are teaching individual projects. And so it's kind of like, learn this, learn this, learn this, learn this. And it's all sort of random learning. So I wanted to find a way to reinforce what you were learning, to connect it all, and to remind people that um, you don't have to make the same finished project, even though this is a project-based class, right? You're making holiday projects. You don't have to actually make projects like the person before you. You can. You can alter their project, but you can also take their techniques, ideas, and move them into something else that fits your style. So, you know, if you're a sewer, you might not do some of the painting. If you're a painter, you might not do some of the sewing. You know what I mean? So you can find a way to make it your own. But it gave me this idea that I think the thing I want to talk about is a skill that I think that is deeply important, which is the ability to take stuff from the world whether it's actual like techniques and ideas that are being taught or just like an interesting shape you saw or a lecture you heard and turn it into something that's useful. Perhaps I'm too practical a person, but to me, I'm always interested in how I can take something esoteric or uh, even ephemeral, just something like floating out there in the world that that's just there and make it something useful. You know, somebody gives a lecture, I want to know what are my three takeaways. Somebody, you know, I take a class, I want to know what are the four things that I'm going to go home and do with this. And I think that's probably based on a lot of the way that I teach too, which is I force people in my classes to talk about like things they learned, things that surprised them, because I think those moments where you pull the lessons are so key to actually learning and actually using the information. You look skeptical. No, I'm not skeptical. I'm thinking, first I'm thinking about my grandchildren and in watching them learn exactly, they do exactly what you're saying. They take disparate things in the world that they encounter and somehow they put them together, not necessarily in the ways that you would expect. That's part of the fun of watching them grow up. Mm -hmm. And it's also, I think, a very creative act. And they'll mix things that you you yourself may not have thought of the connections or you may have thought it was too sophisticated or advanced for them. And they... Or the way that my son wants to dip everything in ketchup. Everything goes with ketchup and everything goes with furikake. And sometimes ketchup and furikake go together. I have trouble with those concepts. You're a limited person. <laughs> uh, it's really, that is the basic way you learn, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And watching these kids has made it very apparent to me. And uh, it stimulates me, too, mm -hmm. to do that. So, and then I was just going to say, you do it in probably everything without even thinking about it as you get older. For example... I subscribe to the New York Times cooking mm -hmm. app and they have these recipes. And at the end of all the recipes, there's a comments section. I don't always read them because they're many of them are very long, but what they do in the comments, they don't just say whether they liked something or not. They say how they changed the recipe. They put different ingredients in, they cooked it for a different amount of time. They cooked it in a, in a different, uh, like not on the oven, but on top of the stove, or they uh, uh, they did things 
and then they tell you how it turned out. And that's mashup too. And that's mm -hmm. learning for the rest of us because we don't all have to do it. And this I reminds me vaguely, there's a Friends episode where two pages of the, the, uh, the cookbook are stuck together. Uh, and uh, Rachel accidentally is trying to make like a trifle and it ends up getting stuck to something that involves like hamburger and onions. So she's mixing like whipped cream with like hamburgers and onions and everybody's trying to eat it to be polite. And then she realizes that the two recipes are stuck together and she's missed that they're actually separate ideas. Well, see, this is where, as you have cooking experience, yeah, you will know what different ingredients would do or what things do not go together. But I think we do this continuously in our lives as we keep on learning. When I get dressed in the morning, I don't wear like the exact same thing that I wore last time, although I can during the I do. during I do. during the pandemic quarantine. I may have worn something many days, but that's different as a special, special circumstance. But I mean, part of the creativity is, oh, maybe this will go with that. Uh, and I think one of the issues with thinking this is such a unique thing is that you don't recognize you do it every day. Every right. day. It's synthesis. Synthesis. And so... Since you can do it in other areas, I think we can't necessarily do it in areas that we feel um, less confident. And so I'll, I, an example from today is I did book club. In fact, the book from book club is still here, um, Sketchbook Idea Generator. And one of the things I talked about during book club, you may recall, is being good. And that I want to be a good, good human being or a good girl. Well, or... a good student, right? So it's like if the rules are X, I am going to do X exactly. You know, and if it's like you do step one, two, three, then I'm like, watch me step one, step two, step three. But one of the things I've learned about making art is that you actually need to be bad. You actually need to be like a rule breaker. You actually need to be a person who doesn't listen to the way it's supposed to be done and the rules and all that kind of stuff. And you have to take the things that are useful to you. So there's two problems with that, of course. Um, the first is that a lot of people have trouble with that permission. And a lot of times I think you see like sections in books, section in classes, that's like permission to play. Um, but the thing is, it's not just play. Yes, you need permission to play perhaps, but it's, it's what it really is, is it's permission to go off script, permission to do what you want, permission to experiment and see what feels right. But the really big, big problem with it is you don't know what you like or what works for you without putting in the time. Right. You have to try it. I mean, let's get back. To, yeah. We can get back to you were a director in the mm -hmm. theater. So you work with actors who may interpret a piece of dialogue differently than you. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and there's a basic script that they have to adhere to in order for the thing to make sense to the, to the audience. So why don't you talk a little about that process? Because it's not dissimilar from what you're talking about now. It isn't. But like if an actor gave a line reading that I didn't like, there's two things, which is I can't say to that actor, I don't like that line reading because that shuts people down immediately. Right. And the second thing is I can't say do it like this and then say something and make them copy me. Right. What I need to do is find a way to explain to them why I don't like it and offer a suggestion that will guide them in the direction I'd like them to go, but not as a carbon copy of me, 
but as their interpretation of that. And I think a lot of that thinking is why I am the way I am as a teacher and an artist, because I would say to you, you know, um, you're coming off a little bit cold in that line reading. And I think this moment between the two characters is really intimate and that your character is feeling um, like she wants to make a connection with the other character. And then my assumption is that through giving that kind of guidance, the actor can take that, process it, and find a way to give a warmer reading without me having to actually say, say it like this, which doesn't help them. So this goes to the way you critique other people's art and your own art, mm -hmm. which I think is to be helpful to give them some ways to think about it and verbalize it, not just to say, I like it, I don't like it. Yeah. And also to think about like, what's your goal? So I, I remember a moment in high school theater, in high school theater club, I'm making jazz I hands. Can do it uh, so when I was in high school theater, um, one of the first days of rehearsal, the director of a, the very first play I was in in high school said to me, why did you cross down left? And I said, because you told me to. Mm. And he said, yeah, and that's what it looked like. Say and I line. was like, march, march, march. Right, right. Yeah. And it's like, the I know it sounds stupid, but I guess I was 13 at the time. So, you know, I was like, oh, I need to actually have, or I guess I was even 12 at the time, maybe. How old was I when I went to, if I was 16 when I went into my senior year of high school, then I was 12 13, or 13, 13. When I, I was 13 when I went into Anyway, so that's a little kid, like when I think about that. And I, it just had never occurred to me that I was supposed to motivate it with something. But on the other hand, I will say that he told me to cross down left and didn't tell me why or give me a thought process or set, you know what I mean? So that's also a him problem. But I also can say that as a grown-ass adult. I but, do know that one yeah. of the things you've most hated, you were taking a class in New York in the mm -hmm. Arts Students League and some teacher... One of your art teachers drew on my painting. Yeah. Painted on my painting. Like and I was like, one, that doesn't help me. And two, now there's this huge mark in my painting that I didn't make. So I can't do what you do. I need you to be a good enough teacher, not to just draw on my painting, but to be able to tell me, coach me, help me get it in my hand and my arms. And I get it. A lot of people can learn by watching somebody do something. But that's also like saying to someone, okay, I'm going to sit down and play this song. Okay, now you play it back. Okay, but I need a little bit of help here, right? Can you show me the keys? Can you teach me how they work? Can you connect how the notes connect? You know what I mean? And so I think it's a harder kind of teaching, but it's important. You know, my brother was here recently visiting, and he and I were talking about this sort of idea of lazy parenting. Because when you're a parent, there's a lot of lazy parenting sometimes, and then there's not so lazy parenting. and. And I, I was interested in the lazy parenting because it made me think about lazy teaching. Because one of my, um, I have a lot of pet peeves. I'm just going to say that. I mean, them all I have a menagerie of pet peeves. Um, and what I was going to say is one of my pet peeves as a student is I've taken a couple classes where the teacher teaches like one demo at the beginning of class and then the rest of the time you're working. And I was like, I can work at home. 
I want you to teach the whole time. And the funny thing is I teach that way. Like I am teaching until the last minute. I often will do a demo and everybody's like, ah, my brain is too full. Please stop talking to me. Um, and that's because I feel like you can go home and work on this. What I need you to do in class, right, is you get the benefit of me being here. But I know that there are students who what they're looking for is they don't have the time to work at home. And so what they want is that work time. And so it again comes back to like what I see as lazy teaching, someone else sees as like their ideal version. And I suppose what I see as active parenting, somebody else will see as lazy parenting and vice versa. So there is no judging. It's all personal. And this set kind of goes right back into our synthesis conversation about knowing yourself. What do you want out of a class? What do you want out of a painting? What do you want out of anything? And I always feel like one of the reasons I take notes during classes and I am I am that student standing up at the demo with my notebook. I am there in a Zoom class, even though it's recorded with my notebook, because A, I don't want to have to sort through a Zoom recording that's three hours long. B, I don't want to forget what I learned in an in-person class. But C, I think the act of having to take notes and having to think about what you want to extrapolate from a moment is a learning opportunity. Yes, I agree. And then when you review those notes, you can see the holes, right? I can see, I can often see what I was interested in. Like, I'll be like, why did I only take notes about paint strokes? Because I know the class was about more than that. But that was clearly what I was interested in at the moment. And so I will, I think that again, like note taking is such a valuable tool. Now I'm going to tell you everything that I didn't learn in college that I should have, that I now look back at with regret. And of course, youth is wasted on the young. Sorry, you paid so much money for college. Uh, so you can refund the money at any time. Can I though? Okay. So you guys have to buy memberships because I need to give my mom back the money. Um, so synthesis is actually, I think, a huge part of academia. Because what you're meant to do in college, or not in college, I mean, what you're meant to do in life, I guess, when you're researching things, is you take bits and pieces of information from different sources, you filter them through yourself, and you output a new idea, or at least a personal interpretation of all the different material, right? All the different things that are sort of coming together. And I remember getting a paper back in college and being accused of just quoting from 50 sources, but never drawing any conclusions of my own. So it's like, I understood how to get the different sources and I understood what were the relevant passages, but I never took the time, the energy, the whatever to sort of extrapolate out of all of that stuff, something that was my own point of view. And part of it was that I, I don't think I, I think I don't even, I mean, this is not a, I don't think this is, I didn't feel at the time that I had enough knowledge or information or anything to have an opinion about some of these things. So I was like, well, these people said it better than I could. Why would I say anything about it? And I think this happens in art too, which is, well, how am I going to paint better than, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so? How am I going to make something that's more interesting that was already out there? 1,000 people already paint flowers or abstracts or people or Probably dogs. A billion people. Yeah. So why should I, like, what is my voice adding to it? What is unique about me? And I think that you need to embrace your uniqueness. You need to embrace your uniqueness. As Dr. Seuss said, there is no one who is youer than you. And you need to like find the ways to bring yourself to the party. 
to turn everything into you get to filter and to empower yourself to say, I have the right. I, it is important for me to take things in and push them out and not just regurgitate. Cause I think that's what happens is like, sometimes, um, people will say like, uh, Okay, this is a great example. Very, I mean, I don't know if it's a great example. You'll clearly tell me whether it is or not. It's an example. Um, many years ago, I read some criticism of a layering video that someone had done. And I mean like 15 years ago, probably in the infancy of YouTube. And they were like, well, why did you put the green layer down if you were just going to cover it up? And she said, because I didn't know I was going to cover it up. It was part of the process, you know, and what I realized and this person, they went back and forth like a couple times and I don't remember the extent of it because it was 15 years ago and I'm old. Um, but I do remember what I thought at the moment and why I remember this conversation to that day between two strangers on the Internet is because I understood there was a fundamental difference in the way that they thought the person who was commenting was was end goal oriented. Okay, well, you put this layer down and then this layer down and then this layer down and then it looks like that, right? Okay. And the person who was making was process-oriented and just trying to figure it out and had turned the video camera on as a way of like showing what was happening, but not saying like, you need to do this, this, this to get that. And I think those are, I think you can say that both methods can be fine. I think there are people who probably work in both ways. It's just, you have to know which way you're going to work. So if it's going to frustrate you to watch somebody kind of go through the process, then they're not the right teacher for you, or it's not the right YouTube video for you. And if you are annoyed by somebody who's like, oh, you just go bing, 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 and you don't deviate from the plan. Because I know there are people who teach classes like that and who yell at you if you deviate right from doing it. It's like a paint and sip class where you got to paint, you know, you put white on this side of the brush and blue on this side. Now we do up and down strokes. Um, having been to a paint night, it's not for me, but I understand there are people who love it and love the paintings that they made and it makes them feel good about themselves. And I say more power to you. You know, I think part of this is because of the way some people experience that many people have had in school where it's very, the American education system is very end product oriented because that's what you hand into the teacher and then you get a grade on it. And the opportunities to rework something and to uh, maybe come up with a different end result is that opportunities, those are few and far between because there's just no time with the volume of kids, the volume of requirements. Um, you know, so, interestingly, the one place that process is kind of embraced in grade school education is in math, where show your you work, get yeah. the answer, but you can't show your work. Partial credit. Yeah. And I think that's that one of the things that is most valuable is when you rework something, because in that process, you're learning mm -hmm. where you may have strayed from the path or what new path you are discovering. Um, so like, like the really good thing would be to write an essay and then get it back with some comments and then have a chance to think about it and rework mm -hmm. it. And, uh, 
you don't get that usually. You just get a grade, that's it, boom, move on. So I don't know, do you learn from that uh, really? Or do you just fill in, you know, fill in the blank, mm -hmm. you've done this, check and move on. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of your experience in first grade. Uh, no so names. my first grade teacher, uh, the question was put an X over the cow and there were several different animals. So the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is what is this question about? Can you read? So could I read the question, put an X over the cow? B, could I make an X with my pencil? C, could I identify a cow? So if a child put the X above the cow, which could be considered over, a variation of the idea of over and not actually through the cow, would you mark that answer correct or incorrect? If you were my first grade teacher, you would mark it as incorrect. And even when my parents came in to say, you're missing the point of the question, you would stand your ground and demand that it was absolutely the one true and only answer. And I would say, for me, I understand two perspectives on it, which is one, I'm sure she was making some kind of power play stand to say that she doesn't have to kowtow in her class to any parents or anybody else coming in to argue with her about what is right or wrong. It's just conjecture because I wasn't there. You were. Um, but B, I would say when we have such a narrow definition of right and wrong, we do some very, very poor teaching. And well, you inhibit learning because yeah. you create a situation in which there's only one right answer. Mm -hmm. And the more you know, the more you realize there's never only just one right answer. But also misses the point. And I think that the first thing you need to think about as a teacher is what it what the gift is that you're giving to the students, what the skill is that you're trying to figure out with the students. It's not so much the other parts of it. I think a lot about all of the teachers in my life who have really excited me and interested me have been the teachers who, who were okay with the quirky kids in class, who let you see another perspective, who were open to talking about, do you know what I mean? Things being different. And I actually think that kids behaved better for those teachers because they felt more respected. Although, right, it's more strenuous it's and more difficult. Work. It's more work for the for teacher. everybody. Yeah. Right. But I I feel like... Oh, I read a care and feeding. Do you ever, so in Slate Magazine has care and yeah. feeding column, which sometimes I hate and sometimes I like. I don't always agree with the advice, but guess what? They're not, they don't get to, they're not like from on high telling you the truth of the world. It's just people with their opinions. Um, but what I was going to say is, um, so they had a question recently, which is this woman has a child who had a great teacher who described him as like spirited and said he was always lots of fun. He came up with lots of creative ideas, big fan of his. The next teacher that he moved on to the next year said he was a major discipline problem. Um, he was, did not listen. He was always, this is a little kid. So this is like maybe going from preschool into kindergarten or kindergarten into first grade, something like that. Like she would have to yell at him several times for like hanging on doorknobs or other things like that. And she said, this mom said she just didn't know, like, had he actually changed or was this teachers interpreting the same behavior 
in two different ways. And she said she thought her personal opinion as a mother, having seen the child and he didn't seem that different, was that he had had a very experienced teacher, an older, very experienced teacher the year before. And then this teacher was a younger first year teacher and maybe was struggling with a lot of stuff. And so didn't have the bandwidth to deal with anybody who wasn't like immediately obedient, which sort of dovetails into a whole conversation that Steve and I have been having about our son, which is like, yes, we want him to listen. And yes, we want him to like do what we say, but we also don't want him to be the kind of person who grows up to just do what people say and just do what he's told and to not question things. So it's frustrating as it is to have a two and a half year old, like why, why, why? I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes I feel like we have to talk to him about the whys, about why he has to do things or, you know, instead of just ordering him to do stuff and wanting him to obey, because I want him to grow into a person who thinks about the underlying reasons we do or don't do things. Like what's a little bit dangerous, like jaywalking, versus what's a lot dangerous, like trying to jump between two giant buildings. Right? True. Uh, and I think one of the, that's one of the magic tricks of parenting, which means magic trick, frustration, tomato, tomato, yeah, is that you can't always know mm-hmm. what's going to happen and how to guide this behavior. Sometimes I think there's a good match between the parent and the child. Sometimes the child is inherently got some characteristics that are not in the parent or which make the parent very nervous. Uh, yeah. And, and that's when there's a lot of difficulty uh, because everybody's thinking different things are happening. One of the things about having grandchildren is it gives me a great opportunity to observe them without me being responsible <laughs> for the subsequent behavior. And I'm relearning this idea that give them sugar and send them home. Well, if you take, if you have a child, you can take credit for the great things they do. And you can say, Oh, it's somebody else's fault or something else's fault when they, by your definition, misbehave, but actually you have less power than you think. Yeah. And your next child may be totally different. Right. Like I'm perfect and Matthew's problematic. That's exactly what I was going to say. There you go. Yeah. I think that this is true. And, but I also think, so just bringing it back around to like synthesis, which is we, you've read parenting things and you've observed different parenting things and you've had parenting experiences. And so have I, but because of my individual experiences with my child do you know what I mean? I'm going to filter those differently than, you know, Wait, you will. You're not going to do exactly what I did? I have been accused by certain people of being like you, but yes. Um, but even just as things change, I think when I was little, they told you to put me to sleep on my tummy, right? Right. It was like an absolute rule. And now it's and taboo. And now it's 100%. You better get that kid on his back. And so I think like, that's the other thing that's so hard is the kind of rolling with the changes. I mean, I know there's a period of time when people talked so normally about for teething, putting alcohol or whiskey onto the baby's gums. And now people, I mean, I think CPS would come and take your child away if somebody found out you were doing it. Like, I think there is a lot of stuff that changes. And I think 
this is part of where um, friction comes even generationally between like a mother-in-laws and mothers or children and grandchildren. I mean, like, because there's just changing. I mean, I think even with privacy, like you have a different expectation of privacy than I have. And certainly I think then my son will have in terms of like who can view your information and what's comfortable and how much sharing and all that kind of stuff. And so I think this all comes back again to you need to filter the world through you and you need to tell your story. You as an artist are not a camera. What you are is a storyteller. And so you need to do that whole a picture's worth a thousand words is like, um, because what I think is that's been used a lot or misused in a lot of way, that idea to say that somehow you just need to provide a picture and people bring their stories to it, which I think they do. But I also think like now that cameras exist, maybe it should be a photograph is worth a thousand words. I think that you need to bring yourself and your ideas and your point of view and your perspective and all that stuff to the table. Actually, one of the issues around social media is people are still trying to get used to the fact that a lot of times the social media post is a lie. Yeah. And you have to bring your critical thinking to it. You know, who's the source, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that's hard because you're used to thinking that if it's in print, it must be real. Well, you are. Thank you. I grew up in a post-Nixon world, so we never believed about any of that stuff. Um, I do think that um, I have a couple of tips if we want to sort of head towards the wrap-up and give some okay. tips about ways that you can um, work on this synthesis idea of this mashup concept. So one of them is you got to do the work. And I say this a lot and it's really important. And what the work is, is you have to make a commitment to finding out what you like. And what that means is you have to just make stuff. You have to just make stuff and you have to make a lot of bad stuff. You guys, I'm drowning in bad stuff. I'm sitting in a room full of bad stuff on top of a house that has a basement full of bad stuff. I've thrown away a lot of bad stuff. I'm sure in five years, I'll look at this mural behind me and say, bad stuff. You won't because you will have painted over it. Exactly. So you just, you have to make stuff. So that's tip number one, because you don't, if you don't do that work, you won't get there. There's no way to fast forward it. Okay. So the trifle with hamburger, you know, but you just have to say, it's just food. If it's terrible, you know, and everybody hates it. Just food. Yeah. Get some new food. Uh, so then the second thing is, um, this is a sort of stolen from Steve. Well, I think stole it from a sports coach of some kind, mm-hmm. which is, I don't, and I'm going to sort of bastardize it even more, which is, we all say like practice makes perfect, which I think is not quite a lie. And so is, is, or is a little bit of a lie. And Steve had a coach who said, um, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. And what he meant by that is like, if you're just shooting free throws endlessly and nothing's changing about the way that you're throwing them, you're not actually going to get better. Tell that to Steph Curry. Okay. Uh, But what you need to do is do it, get the form right, do the things the right way. And if you keep doing that, then you will get 
to that better point. Now, I don't believe in perfect, and I think perfect changes. My idea of perfect now is not what my idea was five years ago or even five months ago, probably not even five minutes ago. Um, but I think the point of that is you need to practice with some kind of goal or idea. That's really key. Okay, so you're going to practice. You're going to practice with some kind of goal or idea. And then the next thing is you get you a notebook of any kind. Uh, and it can be a sketchbook, a notebook, whatever you want to call it. I call it a studio notebook. And just start, dump your thoughts, write a word, think about something, paste a picture. Just start dumping your brain into a place that you can flip through and look through because that's the beginning of you being able to recognize who you are as an artist. So it, it might not mean anything after one entry or five entries or 10 entries or even 40 entries. But once you have a book full of things, I mean, this is actually the theory behind Pinterest where you pin a whole bunch of images and then it creates an overall idea. It's the same idea as a mood board. It's the same idea as like, um, you know, if you go to like a florist for a party, they'll be like, oh, well, do you do, do you have a bunch of pictures or kind of what you're thinking of? Because a lot of times it's hard to say with your mouth, but you can do it visually. So I think, I mean, how many brides come into bridal salons clutching a stack of gowns that they like, you know, because I think the idea is we need these concrete images and ideas to figure out sort of where we are. So you're going to do the work, you're going to do it with a goal, and you're going to start thinking and collecting who you are, what interests you. And they may not be connected. One day I'm thinking of the word gong cha because it's a kind of bubble tea brand that I really, really like. Uh, and then the next day, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, there's a pattern of wallpaper that I saw on HGTV that I really like. Fine. You know what I mean? It all kind of goes into the bank and then who knows what comes out of it. Maybe nothing, maybe something, but now it's here and I don't have to carry it in my brain because it's in the book. So those are my three tips. Do you have any tips about sort of getting towards a point where you can start to really do synthesis, synthesis in your I think artwork? it's useful to have some one somewhere to talk about these things with. Because I often find just by trying to explain my thoughts or talk mm -hmm. about what's bothering me or uh, asking for help with a problem, it helps me figure out what it is I want from that This goes back to our last episode about questions, really. Which yeah. is if you can find the right question, then you can solve the problem. So communicate, communicate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do let us know if you have any tips. Uh, about synthesis as well. And um, just to wrap us up, I want to remind you that if you're interested in private coaching or membership or anything like that, you can find it all at uh, juliebalzer.com. And you can find me on Instagram as Balzer Designs, although I hate Instagram right now. I'm actually tired of all the video, though I keep cranking it out. Um, and if you'd like to take a class with me or sign up uh, for anything, I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to help the show, which is always nice, you can leave a review. You can mention us on social media. You can tell a friend about the show. Anything like that helps us so much. Um, and it really helps other people find the show, which is how we grow. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arden podcast.